welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We have one of Jeff's best friends in the entire world, Travis Turnbull, coming on the podcast. Travis is the son of a number two overall NHL draft pick uh, and grew up in St. Louis as his dad played for the Blues. Uh, went on to play in the USHL for the Sioux City Musketeers for a couple of years before four years at the University of Michigan. Uh, grinded it out in the minors after that before getting in his third year a couple of NHL games up with the Buffalo Sabres where he scored on Henrik Lundqvist. Not a big deal. Uh, after that, he spent the last seven years over playing in Germany, 10 years professionally in all. All around good guy and a beauty. But before we do get over to Tebow, let's bring over the talent of the podcast, Jeff Lavecchio. Jeff, what's going on today? Not much, brother. I'm uh, feeling pretty sexy and flexy. Sexy and what? Flexy. Flexible. (laughs) (laughs) No? You don't like it? (laughs) I've never heard of that before, but nice work. I had a day off in the gym, got a little stretch session in for myself. I mean, not a day off working. I work with all my guys, but I'm not working out today. So got a little stretch in and feeling real sexy and flexy, baby. I like it. Okay. So I have to ask you this question. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Go. All right. So T-Bull's one of your best buddies in the world, right? Hi. I'm going to give you a rapid fire question. You have no time to think about it. Oh my God, this could be dangerous. (laughs) And part of the reason I want to do this is because I know Turnbull's listening right now and he's probably sweating. (laughs) Oh, he's probably so nervous. Like, oh God, what's Tope going to say? All right, ready? Tiny. Oh, that one. Okay, wait. Go ahead. (laughs) Stop talking about me. Uh, Okay, first three words when you hear Travis Turnbull, go. Hilarious. uh, Great human. I don't know. That's three. No, that's two. Uh, well, yeah, because well, I was putting great and human together. All right, hilarious, great, uh, loyal. Oh, there you go. Like literally the most loyal person you'll ever meet. <laughs> you know, actually, you know what I was thinking about as you were answering that was Dwight Schrute when uh, he's going for Ferris like a, beats Battlestar Galactica. No, when he's like, describe yourself, and he's I can't remember what some of the things he said, but he was like jackhammer. Merciless. <laughs> That's awesome. They're a similitude. What movie is that from? I don't know. Anyways. Uh, no idea. Uh, oh. Dude, Turnbull's story is awesome. Yeah. I mean, what a guy, you know, worked his bag off, like played in the USHL, played uh, at the University of Michigan where it's all superstars there. I mean, you know. Travis had a really good college career, but by no means, you know, was he being talked about like TJ Hensick and Cogliano and Jack Johnson and all these like huge names where, you know, sometimes like I'm sure at times he's probably thinking like, why am I not getting like as much press? You know, I'm a good player too. Like all these guys with just huge names and have had unbelievable careers. And, you know, he, he winds up signing with Buffalo out of college and goes to Portland and does pretty well at 
battled his ass off for two two and a half years and winds up playing in the show for a couple games his last year before heading over to uh the del in germany for the last seven so where he's you know he's made good money he has a great career and he's put up really good numbers for seven years there so uh great guy and he's had a really cool career yeah, and I love hearing stories about guys that, that grinded it out but also made a career for themselves because they're such a great teammate. Like, there's guys that get reputations in pro hockey for being just an unbelievable locker room guy and shower guy, which we talk about on the podcast. Um, but he's one of those guys. Like, he's one of those guys you just love to be around. He's one of those guys that keeps it light and, like, he knows when to be serious and work hard, but he's a guy that, you know, guys just like to be around. And I think that there's so much value to have people like that in your locker room. You need to have guys like that in your locker room. And he's carved out a really nice niche in not only being a really good player, but a good team guy. And that's the reason why he's still playing pro hockey at, you know, 34 or 33, 34 years old. Yeah, it's actually really funny. Um, before he did the podcast with us, like that day or the day before he was, you know, I trained T-Bowl with, you know, some of my other pro guys and, you know, I have a couple, you know, I have a first rounder who's training with me and, um, you know, there's some, some big names, guys would be in the NHL next year and T-Bowl's in there working his ass off right next to him and then making him laugh, you know, in between sets and the boys just crack up at him and, and he'll, they'll, they'll just, they just, you know, haven't been around him enough and they just think it's so funny. And he always says when they start dying laughing, he's like, why do you think I'm still playing boys? I'm great in the room. <laughs> you know? it's, uh, and then he'll do some kind of butt clapping, uh, in between sets, making his butt cheeks clap. Like he's just <laughs> dancing between sets. Cause I crank the music in there and, oh man, he's just, he's a character. And, and what's crazy is a lot of guys that I've played with that are that kind of like locker room guy who's like a really funny guy and keeps keep it light. Sometimes those guys kind of take it too far. But what's what's kind of cool about Travis is like he can snap in an instant, like back into being serious mode. Like he could be laughing one second and literally punching you in the face the next. Laughing one second, punching you in the face the next. Never heard anybody describe somebody else like that. <laughs> but, uh, no, he's he's a really good dude. Um, this is really awesome story, too, getting into, you know, growing up with a dad that, you know, was uh, a highly touted player as well, kind of talking about, like, w- what we did with Staz, um, how he had to kind of persevere through some stuff. And, um, yeah, like I said, like, it's just really good to see good guys, you know, get rewarded for, for working hard and just being, as you said, a great human. Absolutely. And Mr. Turnbull is one of the best guys ever. I mean, Percy, Percy J, Perry Turnbull, second overall pick, like unbelievable guy, absolutely nails tough as they come, but also could just nip like unreal guy. And, you know, I was around, I remember coming home after the first year where I was healthy in the American league and I had a pretty good year. I scored 15 and 65, not a big deal. Um, No power play. Uh, and, uh, as a grinder and, you know, Percy was just in the backyard and he's like, will you tell Travis to shoot the puck more? Like just always all over Travis. The two of them are battling back and forth and, you know, they have a really cool relationship. They're really funny together. And, um, you know, like he, he had a great role model in his dad who, who was a guy who worked his ass off and, and didn't take shit from anybody and could score, could fight, could play on, you know, both sides of the puck. And that's how Travis is. Yeah, he's a tough dude. Like, he'll do anything, right? Like, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, him and Nara have definitely been in a couple scraps when they were back in their college <laughs> days. So I love hearing those stories about those two guys because they're both snap. Well, they used to be both snap shows. Used to be? You don't think they are anymore? I mean, you can get them to snap, but like <laughs> only if like they needed to, you know. But uh, yeah, just just a great guy, Tebow is for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Well, I wanted to uh, before we headed over there, I wanted to kind of thank everybody. So uh, this week on Monday or last Monday, um, I put out there a power play study that you mentioned, Nerado, that uh, him and I did, where we went over every single power play goal. Uh, that was scored in the 17-18 season and, and kind of charted a bunch of things that we thought were relevant to, to sex, successful power plays. And uh, I want to thank everybody that put the time into reading that. Um, that was a long time coming. <laughs> it's, it's, it takes a lot of time to, to go through and chart 1,561 goals. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, hopefully it uh, kind of illuminated some stuff um, you know, for people that are interested about hockey systems and power plays and, and, uh, um, because I will try and do some more of those kinds of things and get them up on the hockey think tank website. And, uh, yeah. So thanks to everybody. Did you get a chance to check that out? Yeah, I, I saw it this morning. Um, when I was doing my reading, my social media while I was taking my morning dump, um, <laughs> I didn't have a whole lot of time to, uh, to, to read it all. I got, I mean, it's, it's a lot of information. It's unbelievable how much work had to go into that. Like kudos to you and NARS absolutely crazy. So, I mean, I'm probably like a six of the way done. And then, you know, I got off work and jumped on this call right away. Uh, unbelievable, man, that work. It's crazy how much work went into that, uh, that project. Well, the interesting part about it is, you know, you think about conventional wisdom and kind of what people talk about when it comes to the game. And we talk about it too, just how like buzzwords, right? How people just talk buzzwords. And that's why we respect certain people that actually do the data and do the research and don't just, you know, spew what other people are saying. And they, they repeat like parrots. And it was really, really interesting because the conventional wisdom kind of in the hockey world right now, when it comes to the power play is like shot volume, retrieve pucks, shot value volume retrieve pucks shot volume retrieve pucks and the data that we got from doing this was actually a lot different like having a structure and executing on that structure at the highest level was really really important um and there wasn't as much kind of chaos goals and shot retrieval second chance goals as we thought there was going to be 60 percent of the goals that were scored were scored on the first shot or first shot and rebound 60 percent of the goals were scored off structure and uh, I just thought that was really, really interesting. It goes against kind of that conventional wisdom that everybody keeps parroting. And, uh, and the other thing that I thought was really interesting was how important it is to have somebody on your power play that can absolutely bomb the puck. Like the top power plays all had somebody like an Ovechkin, a Pasternak, a Line A, a Stamkos. That can, a Lovecchio. A Lovecchio. <laughs> That can just hammer it. Because, just kidding, obviously. But you know, I mean, you've been more on the oh, penalty yeah. kind, penalty kill side of things. And when the other team has somebody that you have to respect, it changes how you have to penalty kill. Because now you have to shade to that person's side to make sure that that person doesn't get that shot off, which just opens up so many other things and passing lanes for other people. And uh, just in watching it, it was really interesting to see that the top power plays, they all had somebody like that for the most part. And then you look at the bottom power plays, the, the teams that were kind of towards the bottom, none of them had that kind of sniper that can really strike fear in the other team. 
Yeah, no, totally. And don't get it twisted. I played first power play the last seven years. <laughs> uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, but no, man, it's so true. And I think about all the t- – but I was standing in front like, <laughs> like a plug. Um, <laughs> Tip but I think about I think about all the teams, though, where our power plays were successful. It was always because we had a guy who – could absolutely rip a one T. And so either he was getting those through and I was standing in front, tipping them and sniping uh, from one foot away, or <laughs> the other team had to respect him so much that it opened up, you know, other passing lanes and things like that. Right. So, you know, it, it really does help obviously to have a guy who can just crush the puck. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I legitimately, when I was at Cornell, we actually had the number one power play in the country one of the years, and uh, I I was not allowed to shoot the puck. Yeah, I mean, you got a muffin. <laughs> 100% muffin. And I legitimately, I played, like, front of the net to, to like, popping out. to. It was more like an overload instead of, like, the one-through-one that people do. So I was more, like, at the goal line. But um matt molson was on our power play unit and he could score on a wrist shot from the top of the circles yeah which is you know not many people can do right um and i think the only two people that really could do that and did it i don't want to say consistently but did it like more than a couple times in the nhl one was uh line a and the other guy was actually nathan mckinnon like those guys wrist snapshots oh my god ridiculous and they were not afraid to use them what's that what about Matthews? So, he shoots closer. So Matthews actually uh, – so we did the 17-18 season. Matthews wasn't even on the top power play unit. Uh, okay. Yeah, so it was actually Tyler Bozak was playing on that side, um, kind of in that offside position – or back, sorry, not offside, his backside position. But they didn't really run much off of him. Like it was more Marner and Riley and Van Riemsdyk in front. Like Van Riemsdyk in front is an absolute beast, just an animal. Um so good at like one of the things that we actually charted was traffic, uh, traffic in front of the net. So when a goal was scored, was there somebody kind of in that crease area that was causing the goalie some trouble and Toronto only had one goal that year that did not involve traffic. So that that just goes to show you how important a guy like James Van Riesbeck was to, you know, to that power play. But, uh, it was really, really interesting to go through all the goals and, uh, really, really interesting to see, you know, certain tendencies. A lot of teams did a lot of, similar things in terms of the one, three, one structure, but each team had kind of different skill sets within the players that they had too, which allowed them to do certain things differently, um, which was interesting. And, uh, the one that I really loved was, was obviously they're doing unreal is Boston. Like Tori Krug and Patrice Bergeron are so good. It's not even funny. Like it's not fair. <laughs> Patrice, Patrice Bergeron is unbelievable unreal that guy is so good and does everything well it's like it doesn't make sense it does make sense Uh, that was the end of my thought it (laughs) it doesn't make i i I can't go any further because it doesn't make sense he does everything well savage yeah he's unreal what was he like when you were in boston nicest guy ever actually did i tell the story it was super I, i was embarrassing at the time hold on my alarm's going off Sorry. Uh, so <laughs> I'm it, keeping this in. Sorry, there. listeners. Alarm went off. Hey, this is real life, man. Um, <laughs> so I had missed that year with my concussion, came back, whatever. Uh, I played in the rookie tournament against other NHL rookie teams, but those games were like, I mean, they were real, but, you know, they weren't like NHL preseason. 
And then my first ever NHL preseason game was actually in Toronto. And I was in the locker room after the game and like, I was almost crying to myself, you know, like it's my first NHL preseason game after I thought I'd never play again. And I missed a year, yada, yada, yada. You've all heard this story. Um, but I would like very sneaky grabbed like a game sheet that had my name on it, like on the roster. And I was like, looking around, I was going to put it in my bag and Bergeron caught me. And he obviously like knew what happened to me and stuff. He's like, no man, like, don't be ashamed. Like you deserve that. Like keep that, like send that to your parents or something. Like it was, it was just really nice of him. Cause he had also went through a, a year off with a concussion too. And like, just for him to say that, you know, like, and, and, but like, keep it quiet kind of between him and I, it was really nice of him. And, um, you know, all the guys love him. He's just, he's, he's a really good guy, quiet leader. And he's just a savage works his absolute ass off. That's really cool. It's interesting to hear you talk about that. I feel like every time you talk about Boston, you're talking about how good the dudes were and it just, it goes like, it goes to show you how important that is. Is there, is there, is there honestly like any, a very few teams, are you going to be like, man, we had a bad group that year. It's not that many bad people in hockey. Yeah, but all it takes is one. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. I'm, just, I'm generalizing. Like, you know, I look back at all the teams that I, I played for growing up and it's like, man, I loved all those people. Like there's just something about hockey that creates good people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's what we tell all the kids when we talk to them. Right. And all the kids that are listening to this right now, like that's the stuff you remember, you know, the times where like it was the boys, that's what you miss the most is, is the locker room and, and, uh, hanging out with the fellas. And, uh, you know, you, you hardly remember You do remember, but the hockey stuff is almost like secondary, like the, the people stuff. That's the stuff you really miss and the stuff you really remember. Well, every time I think of, uh, um, Doug Butabi, Steve Butabi, what's that movie? I can't think of the name of it right now. We can get, can get into, into the, the Roxbury. <laughs> yeah. Night at the Roxbury. Every time I think of that, or every time those songs come on my, my like workout playlist, cause they make me laugh. I think about you and I playing the stupid ball game in a dorm room in Quebec during that summer hockey camp we went to because of Stasny. And like that song reminds me of me and you like cousins, best friends hanging out in this terrible dorm room in Quebec at this hockey camp that we went to. Like, you know, just all these little things that happen like throughout your life, like hockey just creates all these bonds and friendships and they all last forever. Like it's unbelievable. I mean, that's why I love this game is because of those things. Well, that's a pretty nice segue to one of your best friends in Travis Turnbull. <laughs> and he's been one of my Found besties a, for a long time. And, and now it's exciting that I get to be his trainer, you know, for the last two years where it used to be, we would work out together. Um, and now it's just like, I'm there for him. Like I'm in service of him, you know, trying to make him as help him get his, you know, in his buzz body ready and healthy and all these things for, for his season so that he can, you know, support his family. So that's a really cool role for me to be in now with him. But yeah, he's my bestie. And, should probably get to it so people can stop listening to this ridiculous voice I have going right now. <laughs> yeah, but before we do get to that, actually, uh, I do want to say that we have some unbelievable things coming in the next couple weeks with the Hockey Think Tank website. Um, so stay tuned. Um, we'll be announcing some pretty cool stuff on Twitter um, that we'll be doing and producing some 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 more content for everybody. 
Um, and also, we haven't done this in a while, but we, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. Um, you know, we're way over 100,000 downloads now, and it seems like every episode that we're doing is, you know, the downloads are coming faster and faster and faster. So, you know, I think the word's getting out there, and we just want to say thank you, and we appreciate everybody that's been, you know, spreading the word about our podcast. And uh, if you're sharing and if you're leaving us reviews and, and, and ratings on iTunes and stuff like that, that, that really goes a long way into, you know, spreading the positivity about our game that we're trying to do and, and educating, inspiring people on the greatest game in the planet like we talk about at the beginning of the podcast and uh really 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 fortunate really have a deep sense of gratitude to everybody that listens um everybody that provides us with feedback and uh you know it's this has been a, a pretty cool thing to be able to do with you so um awesome to be able to bring one of your besties on um to share some pretty fun times this was a really really fun interview that we did with uh Travis Turnbull. So uh, without further ado, let's head on over to Travis Turnbull. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, the man, the legend, the myth himself, Travis Turnbull. Tebow, what's going on here today? Most people say man, myth, legend in that order, but um, <laughs> Did I mess yeah. that up? <laughs> I'm, do- I'm doing good, boys. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. No problem. No problem. Well, Vex, you and you and Tebow go way back. You guys are best buddies. We've had some really good times together down in St. Louis. But before we get to some of those fun times, Tebow wanted to kind of bring it way back. You got a real interesting childhood. Your dad uh, played in the NHL. But um, let's take it back. And uh, if you can, just kind of tell our listeners how you got involved in the game and, and how you fell in love with it. Oh, wow. So, okay. You know, as long as I can remember, you know, I've been playing hockey, but, but as a kid, you know, like my parents, you know, they put me in everything, soccer, baseball, hockey, you know, I used to go fishing with my dad, basically anything outdoors. Um, you know, I, I love to do. Um, and I guess, you know, when I got to about 13, you know, I had to make a decision where, you know, to just play one sport and, um, I really loved playing baseball as well, but you know, I was better at hockey and I always kind of wanted to be like my dad and always idolized him growing up. And, uh, you know, so ever since, you know, I can remember, I just wanted to play in the NHL and, and really as a dream for me as a kid, um, it wasn't as much about playing in the NHL as it was about playing for the blues, you know, growing up in St. Louis, I just, I always, you know, wanted to be like my dad and play for the blues. You didn't, uh, you didn't mention volleyball in there for the listeners here. I, I trained, uh, Travis here and I've, I've been his trainer even back when I was still playing my last few years, a few years ago. And every, every day, every other day, especially every Friday in my gym, the pro group, uh, who's my first group in the morning plays a big volleyball game against the junior group, kind of as a finisher for the pros and a warm up for the juniors. And last Friday, Friday's the biggest game of the week by far. It's kind of bragging rights for the whole weekend. Tebow shows up in a middle school volleyball shirt with his hockey number that he wore for a long time on. And it's and it still fits him. But I'm like, Tebow, where did you get this shirt? Like he just brought out this twenty year old shirt to play the game and it was unbelievable. Well, it worked out perfectly because uh we just moved into a new house and I was going through my stuff and found that jersey. Seventh grade <laughs> Trojan Trojans, baby, represent. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's cool. Well, uh, you, you mentioned your dad and uh, how you wanted to be like your dad. Like, what kind of influence was he on you growing up? Like, you know, did you guys always go out and skate together? Did you guys kind of play in the driveway, play in the basement? Uh, was he still playing kind of when you were old enough to recognize what he was doing? Like, talk to us a little bit about how, how that was. Uh, my earliest memories of him playing um, was really for the St. Louis Vipers, the pro roller hockey team here. Um, when he played in the NHL and, and in Europe, I was pretty little. You know, I have, I have vague memories of, you know, him teaching me how to skate with the chair out there and stuff like that in Italy. But uh, other than that, you know, it was really roller hockey um, from the start. And he, you know, he owns uh, Midwest Sport Hockey and a roller hockey rink that um, – he built with a couple other people in the St. Louis area, uh, which he now owns by himself. And I was fortunate enough that not only to have that rink to go skate and play on, you know, whenever I, you know, wanted, he put the same floor in our basement and created a rink down there for me. And he was just always there to give me pointers or whatever. But, you know, like I said before, they put me in every single sport. I didn't play, um, you know, on a team hockey year round per se i was doing you know i was playing baseball i was playing soccer i was um you know starring for the crestview trojans volleyball team (laughs) (laughs) but uh, no in all seriousness yeah he just he really kind of uh provided me with you know basically all the tools that you know most kids don't have an opportunity to have like the rink in the basement you know my parents had to legit make me come upstairs for dinner i would be after school shooting bucks um from the minute i got home until dinner That's mom awesome. the meatloaf <laughs> you want it now <laughs> well let me ask you this because i feel the same way dude like you know, hockey development, I, I get all these emails and stuff, what should my kid be doing and what camp should I go to and all that. And I legitimately think I fell in love with the game and I became a really good hockey player in my basement because, mm-hmm. like, my parents never finished our basement, so I would always be able to, like, go down and rollerblade. And, like, Vex, you know, like, you were down in our basement all the time and we just always had games going on, always had shooting competitions going on and all that kind of stuff. Like, do you think that that's a huge reason why you kind of made it to where you got to too? Yeah, I think so. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever read the book, The Outliers, but, you know, 10,000 hours, right? Well, oh, we, yeah. put in, we put in a lot more than that, you know, as, as kids and shooting. Um, but yeah, de- I mean, definitely. I mean, you are working on your game, um, you know, for hours and hours a day. And, you know, when you get better, I think as a, as a person, when you become good at something, you want to just you know, it's, it's very satisfying and you want to keep getting better and better. And it's, it's just something that really always, you know, um, drove me kind of like an addiction. Yeah. I mean, yeah, kind of really, you know, I wanted to be the best every single day. Um, you know, I'm still like that, you know, there's lots of young, young kids that come in and I want to help them and, um, help them become better players. But I definitely also want to show, um, you know, that I'm the best, you know, no matter what it is, you know, the other day we were doing, um, shuttles with Max in the gym and I want to win every single shuttle. And, and I think that's another big reason. First of all, all the kids listen to this, like I, Toph and I have talked about this on many podcasts by now and like the will and the want to always win at whatever you're doing, not in like a bad way. You're not cheating. You're not being a bad person, but like everyone I know that's a high level athlete, they hate losing and they love winning. They, they, they never want to lose, but they also want to win at everything they do. And I think 
always playing to that and always focusing on that. Like it's not okay when you're doing shuttles against your teammates to come in second, like in your head, that's what you got to think. I want to win. I will push myself so that I win at everything that's going to drive you to be better. And then another thing that you brought up, Travis, that Topher and I have not talked about at all on this podcast is roller hockey. And as a really interesting subject, um, and especially having you on because you were able to go to your dad's roller rink pretty much whenever you wanted. And you have unbelievable hands. Another guy who's friends with us, who's also playing in the Stanley cup right now, Pat Maroon from St. Louis, unbelievable hands. He was a roller hockey guy, Kyle Kramer from St. Louis. He's a roller hockey guy. He had a good pro career. He played division one, like Sean Muncy, Eric Slace, like a bunch of guys that we know played roller hockey in the summers a lot instead of ice. What are your thoughts on roller hockey? Yeah, just to, just to name another guy too, Jack Combs. You know? Jack Combs, yeah. His hands, you know, I'm playing in a pro roller hockey tournament, you know, with him at the end of June. And um, yeah, it's just really, it's really good for a lot of things. I think um, a thing that's kind of, you know, overlooked with roller hockey is how much it helps your vision. So you're, you're playing a lot of kind of man on man coverage and it's four on four um, as opposed to, you know, five on five. And it also, you know, it kind of gives you a little bit um, more space to work on your hands and all that kind of stuff like that, too. Um, but it really just helps your vision and making quick, quick plays because you're, you have this man on man coverage like you have, you know, in, in um, you know, pro. Like whenever I don't get out there for four and four and, and ice in the DL, I'm like, are you like I'm a roller player? This is like, <laughs> me on the ice. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's just, it's been really great, uh, for my development, confidence, um, and, and of course hands and, and all that kind of stuff. You can really try, you have that liberty to try other things, um, that you normally wouldn't on the ice because you're not, you're not going to get hit as well, which, you know, when you get really good at doing stuff like that, then you're more comfortable to do it on the ice. Let me, let me ask you this because I played roller for like maybe two summers and, uh, you know, I, I basically just made the teams I was on because I played triple A hockey. I was actually brutal at roller hockey because <laughs> I, I didn't really like learn how to stop like anything like that. So I was just flying down the friggin' floor. Um, a big thing for me that I noticed because I didn't play that often and I never really like went to practices. I would just go to the games and the tournaments in Atlanta and Vegas or wherever, you know, tour was taking us. Like, do you think roll skating playing roller hockey messes up your stride on the ice. Cause when I was younger in my head, I was kind of thinking that. And then I think it got in my head and I was like, well, I don't want to mess up my ice stride. So I stopped doing it. Consequently, my hands also were not very good. So I think I probably could have used roller to work on my hands if I knew what I knew now. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that that is more of a thing that people say and that gets in people's heads because I can tell you that I transition, you know, between both ice and roller all the time and it's there's i mean you may when you first get out there for a second be like oh i'm on ice skates or oh i'm on roller but after that you know it's i mean it i think it's so beneficial in so many ways and that it doesn't affect my ability to you know go play ice after i play roller or vice versa like at all 
That's interesting. And another thing too, I read um, Bob McKenzie's book. It was called Hockey Confidential, and he devotes an entire chapter to like how Connor McDavid got great. So like they, he interviews his parents and stuff like that. And uh, one of the things that he would do like every day when he got home from school is he would take paint cans and little other things that his dad had in his garage, put it on his driveway, put his rollerblades on, and just do like little skill competition type stuff by himself on the driveway yep. for hours. You know, it's just so it just kind of goes back to the whole basement roller hockey like and um, we've talked about it with some of our podcasts, especially when we have a caner when we did the Gladwell versus Epstein debate like to get really good at hockey. You don't have to play ice hockey all the time. <laughs> There's other things that you can do to get good at hockey, even knee hockey. <laughs> like I'm sure that, that exactly. in, in some yeah. kind of way that was like building our passion to get better at ice hockey, you know. For sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mini sticks roller hockey, any of that stuff. I mean, I don't know. Um, you know, if I could say every single professional hockey players played roller or been on rollerblades at some point, but I would say that there's a very high percentage and you know, the, the, some of the names you named, I can name, you know, even, you know, more guys, um, you know, that I played, uh, roller with in tournaments, uh, Kevin Porter, both the Lurg brothers from Michigan state, um, Chad Kalerick, um, you know, Zach Cassian's played Brandon Bullig plays like there's been, you know, uh, Matt white, uh, he plays in Augsburg and most of these guys are the most skilled guys, you know, Paul Stasny played, you know, with you growing up pretty much every, um, professional player from St. Louis played roller hockey at some point. So it doesn't, should, it shouldn't affect you in any way other than a positive way. I like that. I like that. Well, throughout your childhood, you got pretty damn good at hockey and uh, you found your way to be a Michigan Wolverine. Um, that's actually the school that I grew up wanting to play at. Um, just unreal school, obviously huge hockey tradition. What kind of made you want to go to Michigan and, and tell us a little bit about your time there and what it was like to play in Michigan? Okay. So funny story. We are, Ooh, we like those. Yeah. I'm 12, <laughs> I'm, 12 year, I'm 12 years old and we are playing in a tournament in Ann Arbor and we get the opportunity, you know, go down to Yost and, and watch a game and I'm watching, you know, Camilleri out there and he's, he's flying around. And, um, I, I turn and I look at my buddy and I'm like, this is where I want to go to school. How amazing is this? You know, the fans they're, you know, they're going nuts and, and whatever. And, um, you know, with all the chance and I'm getting chills, you know, I'm just sitting in my seat. I'm, I'm like, I'm playing here. And the guy's dad, I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to, you know, the, the guy's dad looks over and goes, good luck. And to me at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to prove you wrong. You know, you know, and then he's just like, I'm not saying, you know, kind of like backtracked after that and was just like, you know, not many kids out of St. Louis have really ever, you know, done anything. And I, I just, I looked at him and it, for me, it was, I just use it as motivation. I actually wrote it. Um, I wrote down what he said and I put it on my desk in my room and I just, I looked at it all the time. And every time I saw it, it just really pissed me off. Um, and then, you know, when it came around, I was actually drafted to London Knights and was really, you know, thinking about going there. My dad played major junior, uh, went up there for that, like, you know, you could be there 48 hours or whatever it was. And I went up there and I loved it. And I had a really good, um, you know, a couple of days on the ice there. Um, but it, it really came down to Red Berenson and him calling, um, 
calling me and and you know expressing interest my dad actually played for him for the blues and it was his favorite coach and um i just decided to go there what was it like what was it like playing for red absolutely amazing that guy is the best you know obviously one of the best coaches in history uh, but also just an amazing mentor uh for you as a uh, as a person you know i think you know, among the many things that, you know, really helped me, um, you know, in Ann Arbor was, you know, just really becoming a better person and a man, you know, I really became a man there. And a lot of that had to do with red. He was so, he was very different about, you know, his ways and his approaches where he would, um, you know, kind of teach us stuff off the ice. And, uh, but you know, he was just, uh, I, I mean, he's, my all-time favorite coach. I mean, there's nothing I can, it's just so hard to describe because I have a million stories I could, I could tell. All right. Well, Tebow, let's do this. My favorite red Baronson story that I ever heard was from Nerado. And so Nerado told us that one day him and a couple guys were like working on backhands, um, in the slot after practice and red's kind of off to the side, just watching them. And red was, how old was red when, when you were playing? Was he like 94 years old? (laughs) In his seventies, right? Like maybe even like mid to late seventies, mid to late seventies. All right. He, and he's on the ice with D one players, obviously coaching them. And then unbelievable. Yeah. And so they're ripping backhands to, and reds just kind of stand off the side watching. And Nerado said something to the effect, like red comes up and goes, you guys call that a backhand. He grabs a puck with one shot, leans into it, goes bar meow with a backhand, doesn't look at them, sprints directly off the ice, <laughs> off the ice. Just goes, you call that a backhand? Bing! Sprints off the ice and gets off. Doesn't talk to him the rest of the day. And oh, I was like, that's the best story I've ever heard. And he's 70 years old. Oh, yeah, that's that's red. He said uh, one time, uh, Kevin Porter had a hat trick in the first period. and But he really wasn't, I guess, playing that well. I don't really remember. And, and Red went up to him and he's like, you scored three. You think that's pretty good, huh? I know a guy who scored six. <laughs> Was it he him? Scored six for the yeah, he's yeah, he scored six for the Blues. <laughs> Unbelievable. Just like little stuff like that to like keep you know, and he wasn't saying that to be cocky in any way. Um, I mean, maybe a little, but it was more to be like, hey, listen, like you scored three goals, that's great. You're better than that. Keep it going, you know, and just kind of like little stuff like that. Yeah. He, one day we also had another kid like. You'll have to stop me after the story because I can go on forever with Red because he's a legend. Uh, but this guy on our team skating with one hand on a stick, stick handling, you know, when you're just skating around uh, before practice warming up. And all of a sudden, I just see Red's, like, stick go flying over his head like this, chops the guy's stick out of his hand, <laughs> goes down, just fires it in, and just starts skating around, right? And I'm still skating, like, right behind the kid. And I hear him. He does a whole lap, doesn't say anything. Everybody's just kind of looking around like, what the? Comes back and goes, two hands on your stick at all times. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, is he being facetious about this or is he like, is he serious? Like, you know, sometimes you didn't know. But uh, in everything he did, moral of the story is, you know, there was always a lesson and he was always there to make you better, not only as a hockey player, but as a human being. And I think it just was so valuable uh, playing there. Very cool. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, so were you there all four years? Yeah, all four years. All yeah, four years. So how did you guys do when you were there? Did you guys win championships? What was that like? So, uh, yeah, I mean, we won the CCHA championship. We were always, you know, right there. We lost in the Frozen Four um, my junior year, which was really tough. We got down, I, I believe we were down like 3 nothing to Notre Dame, like right away in the game. Came back, tied it up, uh, went to overtime, lost. Um, but, yeah, we had just, we had amazing teams every single year. We just came up short. So let me ask you this, like coming from coaching in college hockey, we all played college hockey. Like, you know, there's certain years, there's certain teams that you have in playing in college that are just kind of like special. And I got to imagine that at Michigan, you had a few of those teams. So like, what was it about some of those really good teams that you played for at Michigan that kind of just sticks out to you as to why? I mean, obviously you guys had really good talent, <laughs> like you. Um, but like, wh- what else, what was it about some of those great teams that just kind of sticks out? Well, I don't know if you guys were watching the, the Blues game the other night. This is what got me so excited about the Blues is, um, you know, a couple of the guys were talking Jeff, about this. Jeff was not watching the game. <laughs> Actually, I watched. I swear to God. I watched. Uh, I watched it. I watched the third period. Um, but, uh, no, they were talking about the swag. And we always had this. Just the swag about Planet Michigan, like we are Michigan, like we are a team. And we did so many things too, like um, off the ice, kind of mental training stuff as a group that really just brought us and made us so cohesive together. Really like, you know, people can say, oh, um, we're like a family or we're like a family, whatever. We were really a family. Like we we really did everything, you know, we could, um, you know, for the betterment of the team. And that was just kind of something that was installed in us, you know, when we came there and yeah, you're right. We did have great players. And, um, but I think as a team, we were so great, um, you know, because of attributes like that and that we just kind of, we wouldn't, you know, kind of like, you know, we were talking about before how you want to win every single thing. We did not accept losing. And when we lost, it was such a terrible, feeling and you could just feel it in the room and it was just you know we I I don't remember ever losing two games in a row ever at Michigan we just we didn't lose I mean the one year we were at um when I was a junior I think we lost five games the whole year you know and we're playing good teams night in and night out and Lavecchio at Western Michigan Lavecchio Western Michigan and uh, (laughs) Paul Shahura and guys so um no, but yeah, I mean, it really is the mindset. I, I would say it was the biggest thing. And, and of course, yeah, we did have guys like Jack Johnson, Andrew Cogliano, TJ Hensick, um, uh, Turnbull, this guy, Turnbull. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? It's it, it really just comes down to the mental side of the game. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's like, I love talking about swagger <clears throat> because I feel like swagger is like one of the most important attributes of being great. But it's also like the hardest thing to get, whether it's whether it's like individually or as a team. So like, I don't know. I mean, maybe just the fact of like being at Michigan and that's a tradition. You guys have that swag. But like, what else was it about what you guys did that like helped you to develop that swag? I mean, I feel like every coach at the high levels is trying to get that within their program. But it's just so freaking hard. Well, yeah, you're right. You know, it is super hard. And, and, and to get every single player to believe in that and be that, you know, and be that way together is, you know, really 
is really difficult. But we did so many, th- literally everything we did at Michigan uh, had a purpose, and it all kind of came back to, um, you know, preparing the team mentally. Because on the ice, you know, like you said, you know, every team, you know, you'll have great players and whatever, but it's really just how you can play as a team. And, you know, from our runs and everything we did, we, we, we would make it where it was. If one guy, you know, kind of, if one guy doesn't make it through this, then we're all doing it again. Stuff like that, you know, time in and time out. And then we would go and, you know, we would have like team bonding stuff where we'd go to high ropes courses and, and, and stuff like that. And, uh, we also kind of, uh, we would shake up our groups, all the time in the room. And of course I had my, you know, best buddies, um, at the school. Um, you know, you have like, Oh, this guy's like my best buddy on the team, but really like we were all best friends. You know, there, I, you know, I had my wedding in Jamaica, you were there Vax, how many Michigan guys were there and how cool is that? You know, and that's, that kind of just, it just shows you, they just really created a, a family environment and uh, a mentally, where we were so mentally strong and, and all together and all about the team at, at all times that it just, it was unacceptable to not be, I guess you could say. That's, that's an interesting idea. You just said kind of mixing up the groups and something I've always thought about is, you know, the locker room dynamic. And I know Tope is big into this cause he's big into any little advantage, any mental edge, um, you know, you can help your team gain like Tope, Tebow, what do you guys think about in the locker room? Like, it's, you know, it's, it's not like clicky, but like, you know, the same guys sit in the same spots all year long. You're kind of always around those same two guys on either side of you. Maybe another guy who's close. Like, what would you think about like maybe changing up the locker room stalls like every month or every two weeks and having different guys sit in different, not only different spots in the room, but also around different players just to create like more of a bond through everyone. Do you think that's a good idea or do you think that gets guys out of their comfort zone? That's a tough one because you know how guys can be super, you know, superstitious and and get into their, um, you know, their little routines in certain situations. But for me personally, I would be fine with that. You know, I like to, uh, I like to get to know every single guy. And I think that that makes you, uh, you know, like really get to know them. And, you know, like you said, when you sit next to a guy all year, that's the guy you're sitting next to, um, and, and talking to every single day more than, more than the rest of the guys. And you really get to know them on, um, you know, a deeper level. Like for, I, I didn't know, um, John Matsumoto before the, the year this year, I sat next to him in the room and Louis Caprus was on the other side of guy I went to college with, um, I already knew him really well. And, and now I feel like my relationship with, uh, Matsumoto is, is very strong. And, um, you know, for me, you know, he was in a situation where this year he was leading the whole league and scoring the entire year. And then he, uh, he got, he ended up getting second, like the very last, uh, game. And I just, I wanted for him so bad for him to win that, you know? And, and I think a lot of that is because I was sitting next to him day in and day out and, you know, you really just formed this bond. So, so maybe it is, you know, a, a good idea. You know, because then maybe like instead of having just that one special bond with Matsumoto, and I'm sure you had other special bonds. If if the trainers are in there through the coach who's choosing to to see who he wants to sit, what guys wear, maybe you start forming like six or seven or eight of those special bonds throughout the season. Now everyone's closer. That's why I'm thinking. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, it's definitely something that you know. I, I've never seen it happen, and maybe it's something that you know would be a good idea. Yeah, I, I can like I can attest to this a little bit because it's funny. At Cornell, every year we we change it up every year, and you have no idea how much thought goes into and how much time it takes for us to figure out where people are going to sit. Um, because it, it does like, it's a huge dynamic to the room. Like for, for example, you know, you need the one guy that's going to be the radio DJ that's sitting next to the, to the stereo, right? Like can't move well, that guy. Can't, can't you just, a different radio guy. Tof, you just aged yourself, brother. Stereo, because all the, whatever. All the speakers have, <laughs> all the speakers are Bluetooth now, buddy. <laughs> there's, there's no more wires anymore. Uh, Tof, Jesus, get with it. Okay. Well, I don't know. Maybe I haven't <laughs> moved into this century yet, but I mean, that was one thing, you know, you wanted to put the D together. At least we did. So like, you know, during a game or after a practice, they're sitting and they're talking about certain things that maybe the other team is doing and making adjustments with each other. Um, you know, you want to make sure that um, two people from the same class aren't sitting next to each other you know so it kind of gets to your point like so you're getting to know different people even as coaches in the locker room right like um you may want uh, a guy who's like uh uh you know kind of like a jovial joking kind of guy you might not want to sit him next to a guy that is really set in his ways and really set in his routine and guys like that piss him off so it's really like getting to know your players and, and, you know, yet putting them in places in the locker room where you think they can succeed. Like we always had our captain as the guy right next to the door going out to the rink because we wanted to see everybody. We wanted everybody to see that person before they went out to the rink for the first time. Um, like there's so much thought that goes into all that kind of stuff that um, – I totally see your point, but I just wanted to give kind of another angle from a coaching perspective that because it is, it's something that we, we spent a long time like mapping it out for a lot of That's different That's very reasons. cool. Very was that cool. Jake Widener, your captain there? <laughs> he was our captain. Yeah. What was Wides like? I so you know him a lot different than I did. So I was a part of recruiting him and, and I coached him. So what was he like as a teammate? Oh gosh, he's a great guy. Must have he, been the best, yeah. He's he's very quiet, you know, kind of dry sense of humor and stuff. And uh, but he's he's a, he's more of a jokester than I think people realize, you know. Um, but just a great teammate, a great guy. I mean, um, if anybody ever said a bad word about him, you know, I'd have to snap. But <laughs> uh, yeah, no, really enjoyed playing with him, and you know, looking forward to playing against him next year. If you're listening, wides, I'm coming for you. <laughs> Well, T-Ball, that's unreal, man. So you had a great career at Michigan, um, and you're one of the better players to come out of that program. And then you, I heard you had an unbelievable kind of first goal in the NHL story when you were playing for the Buffalo Sabres and uh, scored against an absolute legend. So if you can, fill us in on uh, on your first goal in the NHL. Yeah, well. Um, yeah. How long did you have to grind before you got the call up? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah. 200 games? Oh, I, I don't know the specific number, but it was a long time, you know. And, uh, you know, it was the best feeling ever. I remember, too, I was on like a – I was on a really good point streak, and I was also like fighting every single – not every single night, but but quite a bit, and, you know, playing super abrasive out there, but also scoring. And, uh, you know, when Coletta went down, you know, it was kind of – a similar style to me. I wouldn't say we're, you know, that, that much alike, but with the abrasiveness and, uh, he went down, I was, I was just kind of like, Oh my gosh, like this might be my shot. 
you know. And uh, yeah, I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to to play for the Buffalo Sabers, which I'm I'm super grateful for. And um, yeah, but in terms what was of the call, what was the call? You 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 see your phone? Does it say like? Buffalo GM or something to say the guy's name, like what, take us through that. Yeah, Cause we haven't really, talked to anybody about this yet. Yeah, it was, uh, it was Ron Wilson called me. Um, I was actually, um, you know, just at home in our, our little apartment, you know, me and my, my wife had, uh, not wife at the time, Casey. And, uh, she's now my wife and, you know, we're just sitting there having dinner. I'm like, this is weird. You know, Ron's calling me. Uh, Ron Rolson. So I answered and he was kind of, um, you know, I could, I could tell from the, the second I picked up the phone, the excitement in his voice, uh, for me. Um, I really liked him as a coach. Uh, he was, he was always really good to me and very fair. And he's like, Travis, uh, how you doing? How's your night going? You know, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, Oh, you know, we're just finishing up dinner here. He's like, well, I just want to let you know that you know, you need to get down to Buffalo tonight. You have practice there in the morning. You're called up, you know, and, um, you know, it was just like, I couldn't believe it. I was on the phone with my wife and I was looking at her. I was like making all these like hand signals and she's kind of <laughs> what, what, you know? And I'm like, you know, fist pumping and all that. And, uh, just really a feeling that, you know, is, 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 uh, pretty hard to describe because I was just, I was so ecstatic and, and you know, all these things just kept running into my head, like from when I was a little kid and, you know, that being my dream of playing in the NHL and that, you know, that was, that was actually about to happen. So did they play that prank on you where like you were the first guy out or was that kind of after your time? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't remember that because I was so nervous before my first game. I really can't tell you if they did that or not. Um, I was so nervous and, you know, looking back now, it's like, geez, you know, you need to go out there and play confident, and, you know, for all the listeners, you know, for guys that haven't been called up and, um, you know, will be, and you need to just be you and play it. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to put those nerves aside. I had a tough time with it. Um, but you have to find a way to just, be you and you know what got you there and, and and find a way to just have that swag and have that confidence like yeah I'm here in the NHL you know like I'm here for a reason not be cocky and or anything like that but just just be super confident in yourself and and ready to go because for me it was like oh my gosh you know what am I going to expect you know Brad Boys was on my line and a couple of years before that you know I was watching him play for the blue score over 40 goals I'm like, well, this is, you know, pretty cool. And um, I think I did well, you know, when I was there. But I, I really wish, you know, if I could go back, I would have just just been way more confident like I was in the A. And I think a lot of players struggle with that. Because you're worried about getting sent down. You're worried about, oh, my gosh, I'm here. How do I stay here? When you really just need to just be like, all right, it's another game. So which game did you beat the wheels off that guy? And then which game did you score in? Take us through those. <laughs> um, Madison square garden. Um, New York Never Star. heard of it. <laughs> it was my set was my second game. We're skating around. Uh, Carl Haglin and I played together at university of Michigan and we're skating around in warm-ups. I, I think it was his first year and we're just looking at each other and it was we were laughing. We're like, what? This is crazy. You know, we're at Madison square garden. We're playing against each other in the NHL. Um, so anyways, 
you know, I, uh, I win a face off in our end, uh, basically dangle the whole team, go bar down on one quest. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, for real. Actually, what happened was um, I won the draw on our end. Uh, Boise chipped it out to the neutral zone. I grabbed the puck, uh, kind of beat my guy in on the four check. Was going to make a pass. You know, I could hear him, you know, screaming, kind of falling up. Um, and I was going to try to make, you know, the pass like more, um, you know, kind of back the other way. Uh, but when the guy hit me, the puck just kind of like went straight out and it ended up hitting their uh, centerman who was coming in to support his skate and going five hole on Lundquist. So not the uh, the prettiest goal ever, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, super grateful to have scored a goal in the NHL. And um, I guess it doesn't really matter how it went in. But Don't I, ask how, I, buddy. Exactly. I tell people the first. I tell people the first, you know, story, but then they just go and on YouTube and. so wait was that the same game that you beat the brakes off that guy or was that a different game no so that was the next game and actually in the next game i hit the crossbar like right before that too i almost had two goals in two games in the nhl uh and i hit the crossbar and i was like all amped up and I, i actually wasn't playing um you know that much in this game and so i was like well i gotta do something to to make it known how bad i want to be here and that i will sacrifice you know anything for the team and we were when i and what was so great about when i got called up i'll backtrack here for a second was that uh the sabers were one point out of the playoffs in the playoff race this wasn't like oh we are done let's give a guy a couple games because you know he's worked hard for us this was you know, a lot was on the line. I think that had a lot to do with why I was so nervous when I was up there. Um, but it, everything was on the line and we weren't, you know, we were, we kind of had a bad start to the game and I was like, well, I'm going to jack the boys up, you know, I'm going to get it going. So I was, you know, I was running around. I may have, you know, tripped a couple guys on the bench and stuff like that, you know, on their bench while I was on the ice, which they're probably like, who is this guy? I've never heard of you. Uh, but anyways, yeah, the, the next shift, I just, I went to the net hard and, um, I think it was Scandella actually that jumped me who plays for the Sabres now. And, uh, and then Nick Johnson grabbed me and we had, we had a big scrum and a, and a good fight and it felt, felt good. And I didn't think there was any, uh, chance I would get sent down after, you know, scoring and having a fight in, you know, consecutive games. But, uh, the next day, you know, we were after morning skate, we were, getting ready to fly to Washington for a game. And they called me in and told me uh, I'd been sent down. So that was, it was, it was difficult because I felt like I did everything I could for, for the minutes I had, but you know, that's just the nature of the beast. So how, how did that conversation go? They pull you in. They're like, Travis, great, great locker room guy. Great DSR, unreal in the showers, gets the boys going, sniping on Lundquist, beating the brakes off guys. But we're going to send you down. <laughs> Actually, what? So Lindy Ruff was the coach, and he calls me, and he's like, "Travis, I think you know why you're here." And I was like, "No, I honestly don't know why." <laughs> but I knew what was coming, you know. And uh, you know, almost like he, willing like, him to not say it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, you want to give me a raise? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, I honestly don't. And. Uh, 
Yeah. But, you know, I was called up under emergency recall. So I think that it, they had to send me down, you know, once they activated Coletta. And, but, you know, for me, he still had a cast on his hand at the time um, and, and, and played. But I think it was just, you know, there was so much on the line and he was a proven player um, that they probably just wanted to get him back in. Very cool, man. So cool. Yeah, man. You, yeah, you played a game in the NHL, you scored on Henrik Lundqvist. That's something that, you know, when you're sitting around a fire with your kids when they get older, that's, I mean, that in itself is, is pretty amazing. That's for sure. Like, is that something that you kind of hold with the badge of pride? The fact that, yeah, you know, cause we all, that's what we all grew up wanting to do. It's what we dreamed about when we were in the basement. Like we talked about, you know, scoring that goal, probably on a guy like a Henrik Lundqvist. Probably, like for us, it was like Marty Brodeur or Patrick Waugh for the kids today. It's probably Lundqvist. Like, how, how proud are you of that? I mean, that's that's unreal. Especially, I mean, you were undrafted kid from St. Louis to go in and, and score in Madison Square Garden. Doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, you know, definitely um, very, very proud. Um, especially because, you know, growing up in St. Louis, you know, kind of like along the lines of, uh, you know, that Michigan story I told you about the guy saying good luck. I had so many people tell me, you know, that I would never make it. And I did. So to all those kids out there that have had people tell you you'll never make it, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It's really all about how bad you want it. And I truly believe that you can achieve um, whatever uh, you set your mind to as long as you want to pay the price to work for it. And, and for me, um, you know, I'm not – I wouldn't say I'm a fighter. Um, I do play an abrasive style, but I just added that to my game um, you know, to kind of give me another, um, you know, little bit, a little bit of edge over some guys who don't do that. Uh, that being said, another thing that I think is weird is that I think I was labeled and misjudged, um, as a grinder because I did that stuff. So it's a very interesting thing. And I tell guys now, um, even guys that, you know, work out with us, these younger guys with Jeff, show your skill. You know, Michael Hunterbrinker told me, he's like, I'll do, you know, uh, whatever it takes, you know, kind of along the same lines of, of the way I was thinking, which is such a great way to think because it's very selfless, um, you know, for the team. I will do whatever I can for the team. But at the same time, you need to show your skill and what you can do um, and and get yourself labeled as a player who can produce and, and do all that stuff. Because if you're labeled as a grinder, it's going to be very difficult for you. Yeah, because the easiest thing that they can do, you know, look at all the guys in the NHL, how skilled those grinders are. They're grinders. They're not grinders. They're skilled guys who just aren't maybe top two line guys in the NHL. You know, but maybe uh, if they're in a different situation or even if they're on a different NHL team, they could be a top two line guy. You know, yeah, like it's just kind of situation and, and who's on hey, the team and all that kind Brad of stuff. Marchand. I bet most people don't know this about Brad Marchand. Brad Marchand, his first year in the NHL, I believe he played, you know, he could elite prospect this. He might, let's say he played 28 games. I think he had one assist and he was a minus and he played on the fourth line. Because you're on the fourth line, no power play. Yeah, but he still was like, I'm going to be nasty. Like, I, I, I believe in myself. You know, and everybody is kind of like, oh, my God, like this guy ripped up the A. He was so good. He did it all. And then he goes to the show and, oh, he doesn't translate. Well, he's playing on the fourth line, didn't really have the same opportunity. Guess what? The next year, I think he was top top five in plus minus 
and he had like you know 20 goals or something like it's just crazy how that works so so just looked it up he had his first year playing he was uh up and down between providence and boston but his first year playing for boston 20 games zero goals one assist yeah and wasn't he a minus two minus three yeah yeah and he's he's perennially peanut butter in my mouth he's perennially like a guy who's always leading the nhl and plus minus he's always up there you know so that's just crazy to go to, to travis's point what he was just talking about well he is a guy that can do everything you know and uh but also his skill set is clearly so high level that you know he can play a top two line guy as well but yeah i mean you know in my in my uh you know story of my career as well like i I also was more of a late bloomer, you know. Um, normal bloomer is what Topher and I call them. Okay, normal bloomer. <laughs> um, you can say, and, and uh, you know, I still think I'm I'm as good as I've ever been. Um, you know, injuries happen, things happen. You just you have to adapt, and you have to always work on your game and getting better. Uh, whenever the you know the lockout happened right after that whole you know, a couple games that I got in the NHL and, you know, I had to wait it out. I probably jumped and went to Europe too early. Um, and then had like so many just awesome years, uh, in Europe. And then I get, uh, injured. I play through a injury, by the way, don't ever do, uh, players listen to this because all everybody ever sees is how you were playing in that game. They don't care that you're injured. Um, you know, unless it's for the Stanley Cup and or Game Seven, or you're in the playoffs in your league, don't do it. I did it to be a good teammate. I did it to be, um, you know, I did it for the team, and it ended up costing me a lot of money and really put my career in jeopardy. I ended up um, getting bought out of Cologne the next year after playing injured, and then I had to have surgery after the season which hurt me for the whole first half of the next season. And now people are like, well, is he still the same player? And I can assure you um, I'm better than I was then, but these things happen. And when these things happen, you actually, you will lose opportunities as well as a player because not everybody's as smart as you think they are. And you need to make sure um, that you are, you know, can give your best effort and be the best you every single night. And uh, that's that's the best advice I can give anybody because I think it really hurt my career. I think um, after my first couple of years in um, Europe, I should have probably came back because I think I could have been, um, you know, but I made some decisions that were not probably the smartest. And that was my fault. And I just want to help people from from doing that. If you're injured, don't play. <laughs> Interesting take. Well, you've played. What are you? You're going on year 11 now, right? I think 11 of playing pro hockey. <clears throat> and uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, because one, you're one of the funniest guys I've ever met in my entire life, but also talking to, you know, some mutual friends and some, some former teammates of yours, you know, they say that you're one of the best teammates you ever had. You can't play 10 years of professional hockey without being an unbelievable teammate. Um, so what kind of pride do you take in that? What kind of pride do you take? Cause I could, I probably would venture a guess to say you would consider yourself a glue guy, um, in the locker room. So like talk to us a little bit about how important that is to you and how important that kind of, kind of role is for a team as well. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, um, you know, I love, 
gosh, you know, I love going to the rink every single day. I love, you know, being around the guys, but I, I genuinely care, you know, I care not only, uh, for the success of the team, um, or for myself, but for other guys' success, you know, uh, lean Bergman, um, is a young guy came in this year. I think he was 19 years old, 18 years old. I just sit out the first four games of the season waiting for my German pass. And he actually took my spot. And I said, you know what? It's not his fault. He took my spot. It's not, it's not anybody else's fault. You know, I want him to be successful and I can be successful at the same time. And in turn, that's going to make our team better. So I did every single thing I could this year to help him become a better player. And, uh, he just signed a deal with the San Jose Sharks today. And I want to tell you, lean congratulations, buddy. You deserved it. Um, keep working and uh but but stuff like that like if you help them get better the team's going to get better the success of the team is what is most important uh because when this team succeeds everybody succeeds and it's also just it's so much more fun to just be be in the room when everybody's succeeding and guys are everybody's happy yeah you'll get a lot of selfish guys uh in the room and in pro in pro in pro Oh my gosh, guys just, they drive me nuts sometimes, you know, (laughs) um, with being selfish because you know what, that gets out and that's going to in turn hurt you in your career anyways. So, um, I think, yeah, being a good guy and, 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 you know, will also add to your career, but also you'll just be a lot happier in general. Like I, yeah, I just, I really pride myself on being a good locker room guy because I genuinely care about, um, you know, the success of the team and the other players as well. When Teeble's in the, in the gym, making the boys laugh, he probably says it like once a day, once every couple of days, he's like, there's a reason I'm still playing boys. I'm great in the locker room. The boys are all dying and it's pretty funny. Well, you should, you should explain this too, because Jeff, you, you mentioned it before, like great shower guy. So uh, there's probably like a lot of listeners that don't really understand what that means, but it's so true. Right. So like, if you can just enlighten, enlighten us on what being a great shower guy means. <laughs> no, like the boys, they, they love getting together after practice. You, you have a good time. You're out there laughing in the shower is where a lot of bonding happens. Now I know that sounds real gay, <laughs> but it, 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 I don't mean it to sound gay. I'm not against gays. Obviously I want everybody to be happy, but no, the boys in the shower, you know, you're always laughing. You're telling stories from the night before the weekend before what happened, you know, out in practice, maybe somebody got in a fight, you're laughing. Like some guys are in the shower, just trying to make other guys laugh doing hilarious stuff like Tebow is that guy he's probably in there making his butt cheeks clap doing some kind of booty <laughs> dance making all the boys laugh and you know it'll be like Tebow probably does it like after every win he probably he does this booty dance when we whenever we'd go out to clubs or to the bar when we were younger or whatever actually he did it in the pool for my family party this past weekend and he just starts making his butt cheeks clap against each other and it is so <laughs> funny and you know like a glue guy is the kind of guy who like after a win everybody is probably like t-ball t-ball and then he'll just start dancing around the boys go nuts like that's what it means to be like a good locker room guy good shower guy yeah well and you know what like the best feeling is too is when you uh you know when you do have success and the other guys are generally happy for you you know that you know you are a very likable guy in the locker room because you'll have it you know where guys will be like 
you know, this guy succeeds, but he doesn't care about anybody but himself. And everybody knows that. And that is a team will never win that way. So I try to just keep it super light in the room, like before the game. And, you know, if guys have their headphones on and they're, you know, like Toph said earlier, uh, you know, maybe want to be in their own ways, I'll leave them alone. But the other guys, I try to keep it light and try to have a lot of fun because the more fun you have, the more you're going to win. And the further you're going to go, um, at least that's my opinion. Uh, Louis Caparuso, I would dance like in front of his stall before every game. And he would just, he actually said to me at one point, he's like, I can't believe I may not get to play with you every year for the rest of my career because <laughs> what am I going to do before games now? <laughs> but as soon as the puck drops, like I am such a different person. I just, I have that switch and you know, some people that don't have that, that's fine. You know, they want to do their own stuff and be super serious. Fine. But, uh, I care, um, you know, just as much or, or more than anybody about the games. And I just, I try to keep it light before the games but once it starts you know um you know i'm there to compete and i want to win that's awesome Love jeff, jeff aside from t-bowl who's the best shower guy you've ever come across in your career oh man that's a tough one um how about you t-bowl is there another guy that uh just kind of like made you laugh and made you smile come to the rink like one of those guys that you know you just couldn't wait to see well you you well, hot Yuha Uatola was for me. He was my last year pro. He literally called himself the shower guy. He played at UNO. Actually, I think Travis and I played against him maybe our freshman years. Uh, unreal guy, finished guy. And like every day he'd be like, it's shower time, boys. <laughs> he was well, out of control. Speaking of Dorado, though, earlier I have a funny story about him. This guy, oh my gosh. Um, you know, like he said, most loyal guy in ever. And I think he was very misunderstood uh, while he was at Michigan about what a great guy he actually is. And all the guys do know that now, of course. Uh, but he would he would do stuff like this, which would maybe think them, you know, make them think otherwise. So we had like this towel rack as you're walking into the bathroom area in the locker room at Michigan, and you would have to grab like a towel and then go hang it up on the hangers, which was like right outside the shower. Well, he would never grab his own towel and he would come in, he would shower. And then just before anybody else would get out, he would like kind of tiptoe out, like laughing, grab one towel and throw all the rest of them on the wet shelf. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the towel, bitches. (laughs) Well, he is, uh, yeah, I I would say he's, he's definitely up there and, you know, one of the funniest, uh, teammates for sure he he's something else that's unreal nar i played a nar too obviously we talked about that on the podcast and he was he was definitely out there always doing hilarious stuff and being funny uh one time i walked in the shower last year or my last year playing so two years ago and yuha i think had his hands on the floor his feet against the wall and like the spout going directly into his hoop <laughs> like he was inverted he was upside down we were all like what are you doing? And he's like, Oh, Hey, shower guy. <laughs> Just keeping it light in the room. The boys laughing. Oh man. Well, you guys both played in Europe and Tebow, you've been over there for quite some time now. Like how have you found your experience playing over in Europe? Obviously it's, it's different because you've played for different organizations and different teams, but what's, what's kind of like the difference of playing over there versus playing pro over here? Well, you know what? Um, 
to be honest, I didn't really know what to expect before I went over there. I remember I was, I was on the golf course with, uh, uh Mike McKenna and, uh, Michael Davies when I got a call, my agent saying, Hey, um, you know, Dusseldorf wants to sign you in the DEL. And then, you know, I had another deal and, um, I can't remember the town in Finland. And so I went and I kind of like looked up both the cities and I was like, Oh, Germany seems cool. I had no idea. I had no idea about the rink, anything. Um, I get over there. Our rink, I think was like 13,000 sold out every night. Fans are crazy. Um, you know, but also like the league is just super good. Like there are so the, the NHL needs more expansion. I'm so glad to see Vegas and Seattle because there are so many good players. There are so many good players and so many good leagues. Like these leagues in Europe are just, you know, they're so good. And um, there's just so many, you know, good players. And it's such a good way of life. They, you know, they pay you well, they treat you well. I mean, when I was in Dusseldorf, they used to chant uh, bull, bull, bull before every single game. Uh, they have fireworks in the stands, big flags going. Jeff, you know. Uh, I like it because of all the flying. I just love it because <laughs> of the flying and the magic. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and the, and the cities are awesome, and you get to experience a way of life um, that, you know, otherwise you, you probably – uh, wouldn't be able to afford to do. And, um, you know, my oldest daughter now, she's now speaking German and going to, to school in Germany. And it's just, it's, you know, we're really, really grateful for, for the opportunity that we've had. And, um, you know, I hope to, to keep playing for many years to come. Well, Jeff, I don't know if I ever told you this story, Tebow. I think I told you, but so I'm going to butcher this, but my wife, her cousin married a guy from Germany. They actually live in Germany right now. And he's oh. from, he's from Dusseldorf. And he's no a, way. Yeah. I, maybe I haven't told you a story. So he's a huge hockey fan, like huge hockey fan. And, uh, there was one Thanksgiving where, uh, had a couple bottles of wine, probably too many. And we had, ended up just talking and stuff. And I was like, yeah, it, like one of my buddies like actually played in Dusseldorf. And he was like, really? Like, who's that? I said, Travis Turnbull. And you should have seen his face. His face, like, lit up. Like, you know Travis Turnbull? No way. Oh, my God. He's the, like, and he just, like, spouted off. He was so excited. Like, all this kind of stuff. So you're you're kind of a legend. Kind of a legend out there. Well, how much, I don't want to say better because I don't want to chirp American fans, but, like, how much better are European hockey fans? Like, honestly. Yeah, the European hockey fans, they I will say they are better. I mean, the rink is has just an uh, – I guess if you've ever been to like a European soccer game or watch one on TV, that kind of style, there's chants going on the entire game. People have scarves up. They're – you know, like I said, you know, they would chant my name in Dusseldorf. Like how do you not get fired up for a game when people are just, you know, acting like that? It's like um, – and they have like their, um, gosh, what do you call it? Uh, with soccer, soccer fans, you know, they have their groups of hooligans, soccer, hooligans. hockey hooligans. Um, and the fans are really what make the, you know, you know, what 
really make the game. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's really exciting atmosphere. My, my brother-in-law, I was telling him about this before he came over and, and he's kind of one to like not really believe anything until, you know, he sees it. And I remember seeing his face. I was injured at the time in Cologne when he saw it, like he could not believe it because they are NHL arenas. Most of them uh, that are sold out with fans going nuts the entire game. Um, so, so it's really cool, but, but back to Dusseldorf, Tulf, uh, the Dusseldorf fans treated me so unbelievably well uh, there in Dusseldorf in my three years there. And, you know, I love Dusseldorf. Um, so you can tell him that I love Dusseldorf and always will. Um, you know, I think a lot of the fans there, the stuff I find in Cologne, uh, which is like a big rival the year after. But uh, there was a lot of factors into that 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 didn't really have to do with anything and, and not wanting to be in, in Dusseldorf cause I would have stayed there forever really. Um, but, uh, I'm excited to be going to Straubing next year in the DL and, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool experience. Something definitely different. And if anybody, uh, if anybody is a big hockey fan, they should definitely check out some games in Europe because it really is an experience. That's awesome. Well, it has to be an experience um, being best friends with my shirtless cousin over here on the other side of the computer. Um, oh, now you are shirtless as well. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Timo just peeled his jersey and hit us with a flex. You got to do this, though. <laughs> oh, as my God. Like- well, I wanted to ask both you guys before before we ended here. Tebow, I want you to give me your best, most embarrassing Jeff Lavecchio story. And, and Jeff, I want you to give me your best, most embarrassing uh, Travis Turnbull story. Maybe maybe, maybe some that uh, probably most embarrassing couldn't be shared PG. On, on here. PG-related. PG-related. Oh, uh, PG-13, uh, maybe. PG-rated ones. Um, you go first. I don't, I, there's a million that are coming to my head, but I don't know how many of them are PG 13. I know. I'm like, <laughs> they're all not PG 13 in my head. Hold on. That's okay. Mm. How, hey, Tebow, how about this? Like, tell us a little bit about what kind of an animal Jeff is in, in the weight room. Oh my God. He's hilarious. We'll be like, well, first of all, he is an animal, like strongest guy. I know. Um, sorry, Joe. My brother-in-law, but suck it, Joe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he—he, he, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever watched Workaholics or if you guys are Workaholics fans, but there's the episode in there where Adam's like a weightlifter and he's always screaming throughout, <laughs> throughout the video uh, or throughout the show, and that's that's like Vex. Whether it's like a thirty-pound dumbbell, he's. <gasps> <laughs> Just, just screaming in the weight room, but uh, and also sweating profusely everywhere. I'm oh, always yeah. like, whenever we're doing a, a set or doing something, I'm like, just please let me go first. Towel, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because the guy is, uh, yeah, he's an animal, and you know, he's he's always great. You know, obviously when we we're both playing, you know, we were working out together. Um, you know, now he's he's training me and. Um, he's doing such an amazing job uh, doing that, but you know he's he's also super motivating and always. You know, I really look forward to going to the gym every day. 
Je- Jeff was that guy, like, in college when you're done with your workout and then there was that breakout where you had to get a partner to do partner stretching. He was the guy that nobody wanted to go with. He'd be, like, the oh, guy yeah. raising his hand, like, anybody? Anybody want to come with me? But nobody wanted to touch his smelly, sweaty... <laughs> Hey, I don't smell. I just sweat a lot, right? Yeah, he's like scary flexible. Actually, it's uh, yeah, it's hilarious. I-, I can't say what I said when we were at the gym. Yeah, I'll say it because I'll say it in a way that, that is PG. So, Toph, we're at so a few years ago, probably like five years ago, um, probably like two years before my last year plan. We're working out. It was. It was Turnbull, Hunter Brinker, and I, and you know I'm training them, and and but I'm still working out with them, and we're done, and so we're doing some static stretching, and I do this yoga stretch where like you're standing up, and then you spread your legs like on the floor as wide as you can, and then you fold down to the ground, and like like Tebow said, I'm pretty flexible, not a big deal, and so I can like touch hitting the floor. Yeah, I can touch my like face to the ground, whatever. And so Tebow, there's these two ladies next to us and Tebow comes up behind me and he's like, oh my God, Jeff, come over and teach my wife this because I need to, and then we'll just finish. (laughs) You can imagine what he's saying in that position (laughs) for the story. And these two ladies snap their head over and look at him. And he was like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) as he's standing behind me, like touching my head to the ground, stretching. Kind of like Will Ferrell in, in, uh, wedding crashers. Yeah, uh, I thought. Well, I mean, maybe you're right, but I thought I said, "Don't act like you're not impressed." <laughs> you did say that to them too. Looks dead into their eyes as I'm stretching. Don't act like you're not impressed. Well, then, I was impressed, so you know. Oh, I like to have fun. Yeah, we definitely Tebow and I definitely have a good time. We sing karaoke a lot, whether it's in his basement with his uh, retired NHL uh, father singing singing uh, some old school tunes, or we're out at the bar singing karaoke together, and I'm completely sober, crushing deli meat, and we're just having a good time. We're in the gym; it doesn't matter. Tebow always keeps it light, and it's fun. And when you're having fun, you work harder. So. Uh, I'm really excited to see Tebow uh, have a, have his best season he's had ever in Europe this year. He's going to score 20 goals. I don't doubt it, and uh, I'm just really excited for him. Let's go, baby. Can't wait to get it going. Love it. Well, Tebow, thanks so much for taking the time. This was a lot of fun uh, having you on the podcast. Uh, it was a lot of fun, but I think a lot of good stuff for kids that will be listening as well. So uh, appreciate it. Keep being you. And uh, you guys will probably see each other very, very soon, like tomorrow. But uh, hopefully I'll get the chance to get down to St. Louis at some point and reconnect with you again as well. Yeah, get down here, man. Can't wait to see you. Well, love you. Have a good one.